going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Try another edition of the Going Deep podcast, and if you're like me, you're walking around with bags underneath your eyes because you're staying up late every night watching the amazing competition we've got in both sports, but for me specifically in the NBA. I'm fascinated by the storylines, fascinated by the coaching adjustments and the chess match that coaches have between what they do with the X's and O's and what they say in the media. But I'm also fascinated by the individual player performances. Guys who essentially are just saying, I'm, I'm not going to let my team lose. Or at least if they do, I'm going to exhaust myself in competition in the process. This is what makes this time of year the best. Because every night you turn on the TV and you're seeing the highest level athletes put it all on the line. And that's not just physical. It's also mental. And I actually want to tap into that. The mentality not just of players, but of coaches, of competing to win, competing to secure a championship deep in the playoffs. And in terms of figuring out what makes up a champion, not just in the postseason, but training, getting yourself to a place where you can put it all on the line, well, there's no better person to talk about what separates great players from good players than David Nurse. Now, if the name last name, Nurse, sounds familiar. Well, yes, there is relation. Uh, Nick Nurse, beloved, now former Raptor coach, is David's uncle, but David has his own long resume in the game. He's trained nearly 200 NBA players, trying to give them that unbreakable mindset and the mental tools that they need to success that. I was talking about some of the players who had great postseasons that he worked with include Brooke Lopez, Doma Sabonis, uh, Norm Powell, who understands the grind clearly, Keegan Murray. And then he wasn't in the playoffs, he was in the play-in, but all-star and Canadian star Shea Gilgis-Alexander is on the list of people that Coach Nurse has worked with. So I'm going to put him to work and figure out what is it about this time of year that separates some of the greats from... Everybody else, I find it like a, a track and field 100-meter dash, if you will, where it's a bit of an optical illusion towards the end of the race, like a little bit after that acceleration phase and that drive phase. It seems like the great sprinters, the Usain Bolts, the Andre DeGrasses, are pulling away, but that's not actually what's happening. What's happening is that they're actually decelerating at a slower rate than everybody else, or not decelerating at all and holding their form, having that speed endurance. And I almost feel like the pressure of the playoffs and the attrition of long season is the same. Where is Jamal Murray getting better in the playoffs? Is this not just bubble Jamal Murray, but this is playoff Jamal Murray? The same way it's playoff Jimmy Butler? Are these players getting better or are they staying the same because everyone else is cracking underneath the pressure? Well, let's listen to and learn from David Nurse on that very thing let's go deep so i need some actual basketball expertise and not just 
saying my half-baked ideas into my group chat. So, so happy that David Nurse can join us as, as we talk all things playoffs, because for me, it's been a fascinating postseason. You just see the conflict of styles, how different coaches are trying to put other teams or in some instances players in conflict in the sport. There's been a bit of groupthink where everyone's doing the same thing and playing the same way, and we're not seeing that uh, this postseason. I, I want to get into that with you, but you know, you work on the ground level with, with so many players. Are, are, are there some outstanding performances and people stepping up to the moment, being stars in their role that really, really stand out to you? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think the the players that you're seeing, like Jimmy Butler and Steph Curry, what he's doing, the players who have this unshakable mindset where they step on the floor and no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, they rise above it. Jimmy Butler has that ability. And everybody's like, oh, how does he do it in the playoffs? How does he do it? Well, he always has it, but he's got the ability to flip the switch because he believes every time he steps on the floor that he is the best player. There is no doubt in his mind. Steph Curry, and even you see this in Klay Thompson, who went, was he had a bad shooting game, game seven versus the Kings, bad shooting game the first game against the Lakers, and then he just goes off for eight or nine threes the other night? You know why that is? Is because he doesn't have the hesitation in his game. There is a, a difference at the highest level, the elite athletes that you see performing on such a high level, at a, a 0.1 second decision-making difference, it's in your supplement, supplementary motor cortex, your SMA, where you either hesitate or you don't. And the players like the Currys, the Thompsons, Jimmy Butlers, they don't hesitate. No matter if they've missed 15 shots in a row, the next one's going up the same exact way. And that's the difference that you're seeing of these elite players. Now, I think for the, when you're saying the NBA and coaches and group think, it's like that in every sport, isn't it? where one thing will get hot. The Warriors will start shooting a ton of threes, so every team starts shooting a ton of threes. You know the reason why I think the Nuggets are so good? Because they have a massive front line. No other team has, like, it's the Aaron Gordon and the Jokic passing the ball together. They're very skilled. They're taking the skill from, you see, all these smaller, shorter players, and they're putting it into the, their front line. So I think, like, I want – the Heat to win because Eric Spolster is a very good friend of mine, so I'm pulling for the Heat, but I think the Nuggets are just so dang good. Well, it's, it's funny you, you say that because, you know, the, the Nuggets, you know, arguably one of the best teams, not the best throughout the course of the regular season. They've got a guy who won two MVPs, and, you know, the narrative went a different way, and he didn't win it this year, obviously. But it's as if people are like, oh, yeah, we, we know there's the Nuggets, but, like, what about all these other options? Why do you think, you know, going into it, whether it's, you know, betting odds, whether it's talking heads, there wasn't a lot of conversation about the Nuggets the way there was about the Clippers and the Suns and the Celtics and the Bucks and so on? Well, think about that. I mean, that's a great question. But as you say it, I think you're even – you're thinking you like you know the answer already to it is that the the flash isn't there. Nikola Jokic, uh, a not chiseled, doesn't look like a basketball player. He's the superstar, kind of boring, unorthodox. Is not going to get the pub that 
Kawhi Leonard with Paul George or the Jason Tatum, oh, Kevin Durant and Chris Paul are going to finally win it. So I think it's exactly how they want it. You know, sometimes it's actually write about this in my in my book that's coming out. Do it. There's there's different reasons why people hold themselves back. And for your example that you're using, why the betters are saying, okay, this team's going to win and this team's not. It's the underestimator. And when you embrace this underestimation, this underdog, it's not only as you're, you're flying under the radar where you don't have to deal with all the media that everybody else is dealing with and these teams and the pressure that's amounting, but you're doing it together as one. And you're also having that chip on your shoulder. So I think the Nuggets are so primed because deep down together, they're like, all right, we'll show everybody. They're going to underestimate us. We'll show everybody. And the other teams in the back of their mind, they've got this little piece in them like, well, what if we don't perform? What if, what if, what will happen? The coaches are starting to feel it. You see Mike Bodenheiser get fired. My uncle Nick get fired. What? It's crazy. So these coaches with all these expectations are like, uh-oh. And that what if starts creeping into your brain. And sometimes, majority of the time, unless you're really skilled mentally, that when that what if creeps in, that starts to infiltrate the rest of your decisions. And your decisions are made based on fear, avoidance of fear, instead of what the nuggets are able to do and embrace the underestimator and do it together, flying under the radar. You mentioned the firings of your uncle Nick and <laughs> Coach Bud. Three of the last four championship coaches have been fired. Steve Kerr, essentially, um, you know, is, is you know, the one still in a job. You talked about Eric Spolstra, one of the longest tenures, been able to do it various styles. Why Why do you think we're at this place where yeah. we assume there's a better option or over time, is there a sense where, you know, voices do, you know, get stale in the room? Dom, you don't want to know the answer to that. It is the every aspect of an organization and Miami, I know this for a fact, they are functioning together as one. They're on the same mission. They even have in their locker room, we're not for everyone. That's literally their slogan. They're doing that together. The other teams, they'll talk about it. And this is a huge, huge disconnect. Another thing I talk about in the book that I'd like so passionate about, the difference in knowing and doing. The difference in knowing and doing. So everybody will say, hey, we want a great culture. We want to have a good culture. That's the culture. But hardly anybody actually implements what, a, what it takes to make a great culture. And what it takes is to have faith in your leader. The GM has to trust the coach. A lot of these situations, that won't happen. And I mean, I've coached with the Nets. I've seen it from the inside of how years ago, six, seven years ago when I was out there, how just toxic it can be when the trainer wants to have an impact on the game so he holds players out to a certain minutes restriction so he can feel like he has impact. Yeah, that stuff is real. And, these, and then you have to blame somebody. Oh, we didn't, uh, the GM's like, oh, we didn't get enough wins. We didn't get to the finals. Got to blame somebody or everybody's going to come towards me. And that's another I know I keep coming back to the book, do it, but this is another reason people will hold themselves back from how great they can become as an individual or as collectively as a team because it's this blamer syndrome. 
And when something happens, you feel like you have to blame somebody else. When you're not all together and when you're not able to admit like, hey, it's okay if somebody messes up. It's okay if somebody's wrong. We're in this together. You'll blame somebody else. You'll blame the coaches that aren't coming through like they should. So the heat are so great. And the Spurs will get back there too if Popovich decides to stay because they all are on the same page with the same vision and working towards it together. And I know people listening are probably thinking like, well, wouldn't every NBA team be like that? No, there's a thing called ego and it is extremely pungent in the NBA and in professional sports. And when ego comes into play, everybody wants to feel like they are the reason and it takes away from the whole just oneness of a team. It's interesting because, you know, imagine you need to balance that. Like in professional sports, you have to be a little bit of a peacock to a certain extent. You have to have some mm-hmm. ego, mm-hmm. some pride, some confidence. And so whether it's the individual players on the floor, coaches on the sideline, or the execs in the front office, how do you find that balance of confidence and, and ego and expecting to be great and, and dominate and have authority with some humility and you know some empathy? Yeah. Well, that's exactly it. So confidence and ego are completely different things. Confidence and swagger is the self-belief in yourself. That's great. Ego is when it all is for you. You want to have confidence, but you have to eliminate the ego. And as the coach, so the coach overall, the best coach is the Spos. Like what he does differently is he cares so much about every player individually as a person. You don't see that often. You don't see the relationship between the coach and the GM where they're talking and they're like, Pat Riley trusts Eric Spolster. Most GMs will look at the coach and they'll look over their shoulder and try to tell the coach what to do. No, you hire great people in different areas because you trust what they can do. You're not trying to nitpick. You're not trying to just like, I know this goes on in a lot of teams. There'd be revisionist history where you just, oh, we should have done this. You should have done that. No, it's you continue to learn from each mistake. You continue to learn from each loss, each failure. The Warriors are great at this too. So, but coming back full circle to like confidence versus ego, the players, yeah, you got to have the confidence in it. But the coach has also got to empower the players in the correct way. Not every player can be coached the same way. Not every player learns efficiently the same way. And what the coach has to do, great coaches like supposed to do, they understand that. Like Duncan Robinson needed some confidence spoken into him. So Spo knew how to do that. He knows how to handle Jimmy Butler when Jimmy, Jimmy Butler starts yelling at Spo on the sidelines. Like I talked to him about that. He's like, man, you know what? I'm glad he has that passion. I love that passion in him. Now let's go talk to him and see how he's doing. Like it's, it's such an interesting dynamic because at the end of the day, it's actually really simple, but they miss like most coaches miss the mark on this. You care about the human being first and how you can serve each player, how you can serve the people in your organization. And once you flip it from yourself, ego, to service mode, huge difference. So our listeners would be interested in your perspective on, given all that, you know, what happened in Toronto, because it is a results-oriented business. And no matter the why, everyone would agree that the results didn't match the expectations. So from your perspective, where did things fall short? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I probably can't answer it obviously correctly from not being on the inside, but um, 
I mean, I don't think like if, if you're looking at Toronto and just the roster that they have assembled, I would say they don't have as much like actual true talent as other rosters. I think they have, they're good across the board. And I also would wonder like, you know, all pretty much all the players were like the same height other than Fred Van Fleet. They're all the same position going out there. Um, I don't know, man. That's a great question. I don't know if it's just one of those things where they had a lot of injuries too. And there's, there's a lot of excuses that could be made. Maybe there's disconnect where there wasn't the trust between Masai and Nick. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I know it, there's something there that wasn't as rock solid as an amazing culture should be. We talk about uh, that height, um, you know, uh, it, across the roster, we, we'd call it, you know, project six, nine here in Toronto. Uh, you, you look at, uh, you look at matchups in right now and we're seeing, you know, different styles, you know, Knicks and heat, we're seeing some, you know, old school basketball, you know, the Lakers, you know, for one game anyways, lived at the line and lived in the paint and the Warriors were living at the three point line and not getting to the line, contrasting styles. What have you made based off of coaches in series saying, this is how I can make my opponent play left-handed. And this is how I can exacerbate some of the skills of my own roster and essentially seeing who's going to flinch, who's going to force, you know, the style and the tempo on the proceedings. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's an ultimate chess match when it comes to the playoffs. And I think the best coaches that continue to see double down on what they do so well. And it's like, it's it's so highlighted in the playoffs of like, oh, you didn't do this. Okay, you got to completely shift. You got to change everything. But the coaches who really double down on what they've been preaching the whole year, what their what their staples have been, and yeah, you can make some little adjustments. I think it's it's uh, the, the coaches that are willing to take the risks too. I think that's why my uncle Nick was so good is he didn't care if anybody thought, well, you can't play a triangle and two or a box and one in the NBA. Well, well, why not? Like have the ability to be so comfortable in who you are that you can take a risk. And I think that's where it comes back to the trust of the GM, the culture, because who are they going to blame if the coach takes a risk and it doesn't work? Well, they're going to blame the coach and then you're in trouble. So now there's fear based of like, well, if I take a risk, I'm going to get fired it's going to keep you from being the best coach you can possibly be. So I'm not sure which coaches are feeling that, but I'm sure there are some coaches definitely feeling that. What's funny is, number one, I don't think Steph Curry has been in a series since where he hasn't seen a box in one. Right. But I, I'm also pretty sure that I don't think Steve Kerr has been in a series since when he hasn't utilized the box in one. So that that junk defense is is you know becoming yeah. – Pretty uh, status quo. The other big conversation we're having is around minutes and load. People worried about the, the amount of minutes that Kevin Durant is playing in a series or Jimmy Butler's playing in a series. Or can AD and LeBron last throughout the postseason playing this minutes? I, I watch and I kind of think, well, every minute isn't created equal. If AD sitting in the paint just, you know, touching guys as they cut. Like, I don't know. I, I worked harder on the Peloton than he is on defense at times. If you're not going to go in there. But but we are also seeing like real attrition and injury, which is why I, I struggle with load management is supposed to be you getting your best players at the best now. And we're seeing so many 
injured. When you hear the constant conversation of the year of, let's just get to the postseason. And then in, when you get to the postseason, the conversation of, well, you got to manage these minutes. Where's the where's the, the real validity in that conversation? Yeah, Donovan, I'm really glad you brought this up because I think this is such an interesting concept that has developed over the past few years, and I think it's so off base. So like fans watching, you'll see the players are like, oh, the minutes restriction is only 24 minutes. Do you know what these players do in the offseason? I'm there at these workouts in Los Angeles, at UCLA, at this just low-key old gym that John Wooden used to coach in, and it's LeBron going at KD, going at Kyrie, going at James Harden, and intense for hours and hours every single day. So if you're going to say you got a minutes restriction to 24 minutes a game or 31 minutes a game, the offseason, they're flying to play pickup. They're playing this pickup. They're not getting their ankles taped around. They're, they're hooping. That's what they do at the core. So I think minutes restriction is ridiculous. What it is, is a sports scientist or whatever they have, performance guy that they hired and paid a lot of money to feel like, well, I've got to make sure I have my impact on this. And I know that if this minutes restriction is 28 minutes versus 31 minutes, like this is going to have the biggest difference. The heck it is. I've seen players get taken out of the game and like four minutes to go in the game in crunch time because of minutes restriction. Ridiculous. Because they're playing all offseason. Just so everybody knows, they're playing all offseason. They're not just minute restriction resting. I think it's it's gone. I think it's blown way out of way out of proportion. But I'll push back on that in saying the players you mentioned, LeBron, KD, Harden, they've all been hurt this year. And so how do we make sure that players who are in the best shape ever, who from a nutrition standpoint, from a health and wellness standpoint, from a facility standpoint, had more than any other player ever in the game? From a shoe standpoint, they had more. Like, I just watched the movie Air. How could you play in the Jordan 1s? <laughs> but yet, these players are missing more games. I, I never remember watching the playoffs when I was young. So-and-so was doubtful or questionable to play. All the best players they seemed to play. So, yeah. so where in the, you know, health science industrial complex around the game are we struggling to get the best players playing at the highest level and healthy throughout a season and a postseason? Well, here's what I would say. Do you think they're really as hurt as they actually are saying they are? Do you think guys were hurt back in the day? So I would attest that LeBron doesn't get hurt like that, and he wanted to rest in the regular season, so you say he's injured. Players want to rest in the regular season when it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't, it's not coming down to the wire where they have to be in there. They're going to rest, and they're going to say that they're hurt. The, I think back in the day, players were hurt, but there's a huge difference in playing hurt versus injured. But now it's just the society that we live in and everything in general. You can't say this. You can't say that. Like, everything is so... Like, I, I don't know where, how it went wrong, but like back in the day, it was much different. Same thing with back in the day with injuries to actually playing hurt. So I think that players, they're using that in the regular season to just get rest. Got it. So it's more of a mentality change for yeah. the players than it is an actual, uh, you know, increase in uh, injury um, that we've seen over time. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, this 
the only way to keep people from not getting injured is just keep them in a bubble. Like it's going to happen. Like they're going to get hurt in the off season anyways, if they're playing, it's not just because they're playing. It's not like that, that the intensity of a playoff or a regular season game is different than these off season pickup games. I've seen off season pickup games way more intense than playoff games. Cause that's, it's pride that they're playing for overall. So it's just their decision of like, you know what? I want some rest. Well, Dylan Brooks plays every game like it's an offseason uh, pickup game, you know, that in some ways can be pro and con. Uh, what did you make of the report that came out while well, the postseason is still ongoing? We're not even in the offseason yet uh, that under no circumstance will he be back with the Grizzlies. Yeah, I think I mean, it's a statement that the Grizzlies are making based on how they want their culture to be. And it backfired on them, obviously, in Dylan's statements. And it kind of got overplayed with the LeBron and everything. And, and they didn't back it up. So the Grizzlies are seeing it as like, hey, this was our year. We should have advanced further. Now Dylan's doing this. We have this bad boy label and it's not working. So we got to let him go. If they would have won that series, he would have stayed with them. The bad boy label, they would have embraced it. So it's just you have to put some type of blame somewhere. And probably not the right move that he's doing that. Like if he's not, he's not Draymond Green level where he can back it up with championships yet. I don't know if he's that as talented as you can say stuff and you know they're not going to trade you. So I think he kind of crossed the line a little bit, but it's still the point of, well, if they win, then they embrace it. But you got to have somebody to place the blame on. Uh, far from a bad boy is Victor Wembanyama, who, you know, I, some of the conversation about him simulating to the league uh, is similar to when Katie was coming out, and you started to get these, you know, unicorns. And I remember uh, Katie with his his you know draft evaluation camp combine workout where you know he was struggling to get 135 up, and I was just thinking, well, the ball doesn't weigh 135 pounds. Yeah. Hit him, you know, in yeah. the shooting pocket, he'll be just fine. Uh, how do you see Victor Wembanyama's tr- game translating, you know, to the modern NBA game? So, I mean, that's a really good question, and I can only speculate on it since I haven't been around him in person. So, one thing that, like, I've been blessed to be around players, a lot of really talented players, and I could tell you through talking to them, through working out with them in the first workout, if they have the ability to be great. And that is the insatiable drive. So if Victor's in a workout and he's trying to win every drill, he's trying to kill everybody that he's going against. This is what I went through with Shea Alexander. The first time I worked him out for his pre-draft, he just like, we, we try to break him because pre-draft is a real mental thing as well. And after the workout, after two hours of Shea just busting his butt and nobody knew who Shea was coming out of college. He was just little Shea. Like he's, he would follow me around like a little puppy dog. He was awesome. Still awesome. Love the guy. But the, after that first workout, I'm taxed. Everybody else, is, he comes up to me. He's like, when are we going tonight? I was like, this dude is different. Like, he would just go two-a-days. He just loved it. He didn't matter if the lights were on. He would work and work. So I, that's how I can tell in one of the sense of, do they drag me to the gym or do I drag them to the gym? So obviously, he's got the skill set. He's different. He's a unicorn. He's intriguing. But does he have the love? Does he have the drive? I've also been around players, Josh Jackson, number three pick to the Phoenix Suns, didn't want to work out. He didn't, he, he didn't love the game. He didn't love the process of it. So I, I think a lot of it comes down to that. I, I would say, though, he's a little bit different than some of the other guys, like the Chet Holmgrens and 
people that in the past have sat out. Like he could have very easily sat out and not played a game and still been the number one pick. But he came out and they said, hey, we're coming. We're playing. We're hooping. So I respect that a lot. So you mentioned Shea. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned him in reference to Josh Jackson. Because I remember, you know, Josh in high school and all of the hype and how big um, his games were. I don't remember anything about Chase High School. I only remember him at the end when he saved a Kentucky team that was struggling um, and, and he wasn't supposed to be one of the lead guys. You know, his game is a tough one to comp. Maybe that's why people weren't on him early because he plays offbeat. Like he's, he's just keeping you on edge a little bit. What's for you his projection? Like where, where do you see his his ceiling being in the game um i think he's only going to continue to improve he is uh he's got such a grasp of iq he's got such a great pace that he plays with he plays at his own pace and he is fearless man like he is he wants to be the leader he is the leader of okc you get some talent around him he makes players better and he's not scared of anybody and will come at everybody's throat in a great way so I think he's just going to continue to improve. He's going to continue to rise. He's going to continue. You're going to see more and more of him year after year of how how consistently he, he's he's getting better and better. And I mean, I I wouldn't see why he's not. I mean, the top point guard in the NBA for years to come. Uh, and we've we've seen a nice sample size of playoff games. Uh, you mentioned you know how good the Nuggets have looked. Based off of what you've seen so far and how the bracket now stands, the two teams you think will be left uh, standing would be who? Miami Heat and Golden State Warriors. Even though I'm pumping up the Nuggets and everything, I think the Warriors are just too good, man. And they're just when the pressure and their backs are against the wall, they'll do it. And I'm I'm pulling for Spo in Miami. He's the best coach ever to coach to be able to. I mean, assimilate talent that probably shouldn't actually be on the court. Like the guys that he have that it's like something like eight undrafted players or something. He gets the most out of everybody. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. I mean, when you look historically, you can't label a style of play to him. You can't label his success to a specific generational player. Um, he's had different players, different styles, um, always been uh, competitive. So that's a good one. Uh, you can say a lot of those things, uh, although over a shorter time period, to your uncle, Nick Nurse. Yeah. If he, if he hits you up and says, man, there's a lot of open spaces on the board right now, uh, you know, what what job do you think would be a great fit for him moving forward? Man, any actually, any job that he gets will be a great fit. I've been around him, obviously, my whole life. Seen him coaching for 27 years in leagues that – don't even exist anymore and overseas and he wins everywhere he goes everywhere it's crazy like literally crazy one in brighton england didn't play basketball the usbl the iowa energy rio Grande valley crazy i i hope he goes to milwaukee i like john horse the gm a lot they've got great talent right there ready for him uh man i would i would love to see him go to more i have no idea haven't talked to him about it. no idea what he's thinking it's also not a bad thing to take a year off when you're owed like eight million dollars either. So who knows? That's true. Yeah, if I if I if I see him, 
you know, riding around poor credit, uh, you know, maybe, you know, like, yeah, maybe just take a, a year off. I, 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 I love uh, Giannis, you know, this, this great ownership in Milwaukee. So that'd be a great fit. But uh, selfishly, a lot of Canadians would love to see him go west. Go, go get yeah. some sun. Go to another conference. Come on out to L.A. I'd love to have yeah. him out here. Yeah, well, we'd love to have you on. Thank you so much uh, for brightening this conversation. Uh, and thank you for your work uh, with the players because the, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, they're much better for it, and we all benefit uh, from it as fans of the game. So thank you. Thanks, Donovan. Yeah, appreciate it. If you guys like this kind of mindset stuff, got a new book out, Do It, The Life-Changing Power of Taking Action, out on Tuesday. If you want more of this stuff, go check it out. Thanks so much to Coach Nurse. If he doesn't want to coach, certainly he could be an analyst because I love the way he broke down the sport in really no-nonsense terms. Give him a follow on Twitter, at David Nurse NBA Zandel. And if you want to find some of his writing, which he mentioned, davidnurse.com is the place. This is the place for conversations like this. So glad that you decided to spend some time. Join. As always, thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.